Hey, good to see everybody. I'm so glad you're with us, whether you are online, uh, wherever you are in this area or on this planet, and for everybody in one of our physical locations. Really, really glad you're here. And I, and I say really, really glad, right? Because today we do start a new series called uh, What I Want or What You Want, What You Really, Really Want. And anytime we start a new series, it's, it's always, uh, it's kind of fun. Um, but this week is also, I mean, every week should be, right, is, but this week more than most could be maybe the most important service, most important day of your life. When we look at what we're talking about, that'll make sense toward the end. And I'm praying that God will help us understand his invitation and the opportunity uh, that is today. But when we start this series, you know, it is kind of fun. What, what do you, you know, what do you want from God? What do you really really want. We polled, we kind of, you know, in our community, in our church to say, hey, what do, what do people really, really want? And it was kind of interesting because it was overwhelmingly the same and it was a, seemed a little strange, but what people wanted uh, more than anything else was more Spice Girls. <laughs> it's kind of weird. So we thought, well, okay, I guess we'll, we'll do that. And some of you don't even know, I guess, Spice Girls, what they are. and I don't know much about them either. I know Posh Something is one of them. No, I'm, I, know, I know there are more than that. Um, but it's, this, today, this week, it's not about the Spice Girls. I mean, it wasn't inspired by the Spice Girls. This was inspired by Jesus. And we're going to be looking at the story today that, that inspired this series where Jesus looks at somebody. Now, Jesus, God, right, we believe uh, here, you know, that look at somebody and said, what do you want me to do for you? Like, what do you want? What do you really, really want? What do you want me to do for you? It's like a blank check from God. And what would you say if you had that? And, and when you think about that, it maybe is reminiscent a little bit of like the genie stories, you know, that mythology about people finding a genie and get three wishes. And, and, and that makes me think all the way back to high school at Easter last week, I talked about English, my English class. And, and this is a memory from that same class. I don't know why I remember this story that many years later when I was 17 in that class, but I do. And there was a guy, a friend of mine named Jim Powers, who ironically would end up coming on staff here for a year as an intern. He went to uh, graduate school, business school, law school, and then decided to come to Dallas Seminary, and while, uh, which is graduate school for pastors and stuff. And, and he was an intern here for a year. So some of you may know him. Um, but at that time, we had no idea that would ever happen. We were just 17-year-old kids in an English class. And he gave a report. And here's the story, for some reason, I remember. The report is about two monkeys. Or in the report, he shared this story about two monkeys in a jungle. They find a, a glass bottle with a lid on it. The, the two monkeys open up the lid. A genie pops out and says, oh, thank you. I'll give you three wishes, whatever you want. And immediately, one of the monkeys was all excited like monkeys get, you know. And he's like, ooh, I want a banana. Poof, there was a banana. Well, the other monkey got really frustrated and upset. He's like, you big dummy. You, you wasted a wish on one banana. You could have had a million bananas. You could have had a banana plantation. But you wasted it on one banana. I wish that banana were stuck on your face. Poof. Stuck on his face. They had to use the third wish to get the banana off his face. And the moral of the story was, be careful what you ask for. Now, why do I remember that? 
almost 40 years later. I mean, really, it's kind of, and I, but I kind of remember as a 17 year old thinking, you know, just in case that ever happens, I'm in the jungle, see two monkeys and I'm there. You know what? I don't know why I remember it, but I do remember it. But in this case, what we're talking about is not two fictional genies and monkeys and all that. This is, this is a story about the God of the, God of the universe who came here, human flesh, Jesus. Looking at someone and saying, what, you tell me, what do you want me to do for you? And what I want us to understand 2,000 years later is that Jesus wants to do more for you and me today than we can possibly imagine if we're open to it. And what would you say if he looked at you right now and said, you tell me, what, what do you want me to do for you? Naturally, this series, this topics in the weeks to come, are populated by input we got from different people who said, yeah, what, what do you want? What do you really, really want? What would you say? What would, and, and here's some of the topics we'll talk about from that. Um, we'll talk about peace in anxious times. Hey, I, I just want peace in times like this. We'll talk about a, a number of people who's like parenting. Like, man, I, I just want my kids to be able to flourish in a world like this. And, and as a parent, I, I want... I just want help in, in helping make that happen. We'll talk about that because the Bible has a lot to say. Uh, we'll talk about healing. A lot of people just mean I, I need to be healed or a family member or whatever. I would say, God, would you heal my friend or my spouse or my loved one or myself? Or um, Anyway, so those are some of the topics we'll talk about. But today, we're actually backing up from that and not focusing so much on just what we want, but what Jesus wants for you and me, which is far more profound than we can even imagine. And that's why this is such an important day, potentially, for all of us, as we think about where we are in, in light of what God wants for us. And the big question I want us to have in our mind today, as we go to this story where Jesus looks at this guy and says, what do you want me to do for you, is this. Is it what if you were only one step away from your life being changed forever? What if you were one step away from what Jesus wants for you that you have yet to experience? And the truth is, all of us are, wherever we are on the journey, however many steps we've taken. But I want us to be open with that question as we go to the story. And, uh, and, and it's in the book of Luke is where we'll be in the New Testament. You know, there are Matthew, Mark, Luke, John tell the stories of, about Jesus' life on this planet. And this story that we're talking about today is told in three of those books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're going to do Luke because we started this year in the Immerse series in Luke, so why not go there? So we're going to be in Luke 18 if you want to follow along with me with your Bible app or something like that. But for this story to make sense, we have to understand the context of the story. So Jesus is coming in. He's going to go into a suburb, basically, on his way of Jerusalem, on his way to Jerusalem for the last time in his earthly ministry so this is a high drama time in Jesus' life when this story happens. When I say high drama, this is on Friday, seven days later, he's going to be crucified in Jerusalem, die on the cross for the sins of the world. Three days after that, be raised from the dead. We celebrated that last week. Remember that Easter? You know all about it now, right? So he rose from the dead, right? But during that week, an intense week. So he's not in Jerusalem yet. He's on his way to Jerusalem. This is likely the Friday before. On Sunday, it's going to be... The triumphal entry, if you've been around Christianity, or Palm Sunday, where he goes in, people wave palm leaves and say he's the, uh, you know, like he's the, you know, he's the Messiah, which he was, and a bunch of people were all excited about that, got unexcited, and then crucified. So all that's about to happen, right? So that's a lot of drama. Adding to that drama 
is that week was also Passover week. And this is Friday, which was the big travel day from people coming into Jerusalem from all over the country and all over the world because Passover week was a celebration, a pilgrimage celebration, where Jews were expected to come wherever they were into Jerusalem to celebrate that. They couldn't travel on Saturday. That was the Sabbath. They weren't supposed to travel. So this Friday day would have been just packed, 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 packed. Like we think Dallas gets packed, you know, on certain days. This was way more than that. It just would have been people everywhere on these roads coming in. Now, adding to that drama also was the fact that Jesus was in the crowd because everybody in those crowds of people had heard about Jesus and they were curious about Jesus and they wanted to hear what he had to say. They wanted to see him do some miracles. They were like, oh, man, this is amazing. So everybody's just right with Jesus looking and all. So all that drama is going on as they come into this city called Jericho that would be like if you're going to downtown Dallas, you're walking into McKinney. So you'd stop off at Hutchins Barbecue, of course, and then, you know, keep going, right? But he's like going into Jericho, going into that area. And what we're going to look at is what happens in Jericho, Luke 18, 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Now we know from Mark, from the book of Mark, his name was Bartimaeus. So we'll call him by his name, Bartimaeus. He was a blind guy begging, which is what you did when you were blind in that culture because there were no social services, there were no safety nets. And so people with various things like that would be beggars. Just And that's all they could do. And that's what he did. So he's there on the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, meaning there's already a crowd, but all of a sudden a lot more of a crowd, a lot more of a buzz, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now we learn later, he says that over and over again. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now that's quite a cry because it's a cry not only of desperation, but also of faith. Because he's calling Jesus the son of David. You didn't call everybody son of David. That was a messianic title. Meaning that's, that was reserved for the Messiah, the savior of the world that had been promised for centuries that, that the Jewish people were looking for. And what he's saying is, you're the one, I know it. You're the Messiah. You're the one promised from God. And he knew that the Old Testament, he would have known this, that the Old Testament predicted one of the prophecies is that when the Messiah came, he would heal the sick. He would make blind people see. He's a blind guy. He's heard the stories of what Jesus has done all over the country of doing just that. And so he is not going to let this opportunity pass him by because when else is Jesus going to pass right by the road that he's begging on? It's like Eminem, you know. You only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. He's better than me. I admit it. But it's pretty cool, right? You get Eminem, Spice Girls, Backstreet Boys, all in the same service. I mean, so worth the price of admission. Um, or think of Hamilton, right? You know, where he says, you know, you're, I, I, I'm not, is it giving away, throwing away? I'm not throwing away my shot. I'm not throwing away my shot. I mean, you only get one shot in this case, and he knows it, and he's not going to let it go. And so he cries out. He doesn't know if Jesus is going to respond or not. Nobody else pays attention to him, but he's going to do the best he can to throw it out there. But the crowd is not so supportive. Next verse. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And he kept doing it. They were shushing him, but he was not shushable. Now, how many of us like to be shushed? Isn't that the worst? You know, when you say something, somebody says, shh, 
fact, I heard that at Easter last week, like, you know, when the service started and, and people are like, shh, you know, all over the place. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. But uh, it is kind of fun to be the shusher, right? It's not so fun to be the shusher. In fact, try it right now. Whatever, if you're at home right now or right, one person just around you talk and then everybody else shush them. Go ahead, do it. See, nobody talked because nobody wants to be the shushed, right? We want to be the shusher. And he, you know, and, and, and he's, but he's, he's not going to let that happen. And he keeps crying out. And what's Jesus going to do? Well, I mean, Jesus being Jesus, you might guess. Verse 40, Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. Now, the most significant word in this whole story that we're going to look at today of all of his ministry in Jericho, there's actually going to be twice. We're going to see the same word for two different people that were the kind of people you thought he would never do this for is the word stopped. Because remember what Jesus is doing. Remember what is on his mind is he's going to Jerusalem to die on the cross for the sins of the world. He's going to be raised from the dead. All that is on his mind. There is urgency. There's all kinds of emotion going on. I mean, some of you think you've got a big week ahead of you and you're like, oh man, I got a week. He had a week. And if anybody ever had reason to say, man, I am too busy. I am too preoccupied. He gets the excuse to not stop for somebody like a blind beggar on the road. And I've had to think about this this week, just thinking, man, would I have stopped? And I don't think I, I don't know that I would have because I'm not like Jesus enough. But Jesus is like Jesus. And so he, he stops. Because when people cry out to him in faith, it doesn't matter who they are. They're a person he loves supremely. And by the way, Jesus would stop for you too. And you might think, oh, no, no. I, you know, some of you think, oh, yeah, he'd stop for me. You know, but a lot of you, some of you would be like, no, I, I don't think he'd stop for me. Oh, yeah, he would. And he did. And he orders the man to be brought to him. So now the crowd is like, you know, all of a sudden Bartimaeus is like a VIP. You know, people who used to shush him were like, oh, yeah, well, he's, he's one of my good friends. Yeah, come on, Bartimaeus. You know, and, all, and they get him up to Jesus. And then we get the question. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want? What do you really, really want? Now, it's quite a question. But you may, have your, you may have a question in your mind right now. Of like, why does Jesus even ask the question? Like, why didn't he just heal him? Maybe it's obvious what he He's a blind guy who has to beg because he's blind. And isn't it kind of obvious what he's going to say, right? I mean, what is he going to say other than, you know, I want to see. Is he going to say like, oh man, Jesus, I need some investment tips. Because it's really hard right now with this inflationary environment. We don't know what the Fed's going to do. Is it going to be a soft landing or hard landing? We never say. Like, is that what he's going to I mean, of course he's going to say what he's going to say. So why did Jesus even ask the question. Keep that in your mind because that's going to become really important later and it's going to have a lot of implications for you and me 2,000 years later. There's a reason. Well, he asked the question and you can guess the response. It's not surprising. Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, oh, by the way, Lord, another huge statement of faith. Son of David, huge statement of faith, calling Jesus Lord, even ramps it up from there. Somehow, he's the only one in the crowd who can see the reality of who Jesus is, even though he's blind. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Remember that phrase, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, 
they also praised God. This is exactly what they wanted to see. They wanted to see a miracle. All the people, here's a bona fide miracle. This blind guy they've known for a long time now can see. And, you know, he's looking around like, whoa, clouds and trees. And I mean, he's seeing all this stuff. I mean, it's a big deal. This is the last as far as we know, the last miracle like this that Jesus is going to do when he's in Jerusalem, he is going to make a fig tree wither as an illustration. That's not much of a miracle. This one's a big one. Last big one he does is for Bartimaeus, as far as we know. The crowd is like, ah, oh, this is so awesome. This is the best Passover ever. And all that's going on. And it's really great. Everybody's praising God because a blind guy could see. But what Jesus was going to do in his life, and Bartimaeus was just starting to understand it, wouldn't understand it till later, is that Jesus was actually doing way more than that. Way more than just helping a blind guy see. And we know that from the passage. For one, uh, when, it, when, it's, when, when it says, you know, when Jesus says your faith has healed you, that word heal, translated healed, uh, from the original language of the New Testament, which is Greek, is a, is a word that has multiple meanings. And it's, and therefore in the New Testament, it's translated two different ways. Sometimes it's translated healed. Sometimes it's translated saved. In fact, if you looked at this verse with different translations, some of them would say your faith has healed you. Some of them would say your faith has saved you because that word is used interchangeably all the time in the New Testament, especially in the Jesus narratives. In this case, both happen, right? Both translations are good. He was healed and he was saved. Saved meaning saved from sin, brought into relationship with God. How do we know that? Well, he also becomes a follower of Jesus. That's what it said. And when the New Testament, when it, when it says that immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, we know it's not just like following Jesus, like, you know, physically. In the New Testament, following Jesus to become a follower of Jesus is to say, hey, my life is not about me anymore. Like the disciples, I'm a follower of him. My life is about him. I'm going wherever he wants me to go. I'm going to submit to him in the better way that he has for me. I'm going to be part of his movement. I'm going to be part of what he's doing in this world. He becomes a follower of Jesus. A blind guy can see, but way more than that. Now, we don't know what happened after this story in his life, except we do get a hint in the book of Mark. Because in the book of Mark, it says, when it introduces Bartimaeus, it says, this was Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Which is, you know, when you and I, 2,000 years later, read that, you know, and there's a, the New Testament will do that a lot in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It'll say things like, oh, this is so-and-so from Bethany. This is so-and-so, son of whatever. Oh, this is so-and-so, the whatever, you know. And, and we read it, and we're like, yeah, thank, I, that didn't mean anything to me. Like, why? Who cares? Like, okay, so he's the son of Timaeus. I don't know Timaeus. Like, I don't... But this was written 2,000 years ago, just decades after the events happened. So the people that, people that Luke and Matthew and Mark and John, when they were writing, these people were still alive. And so if you were reading, and, and this was written, you know, Luke was written to an individual and with the intent to pass it around to the churches. And so they would have known, they would have been like, oh, Bartimaeus in Jericho. Yeah, the son of Timaeus, I know them. Because they were in the family. They were following Jesus. They were part of the Jesus movement, what we call church, this movement of radical love on this planet. Like his life was forever changed. 
what he opened up his life to was way more than he could have ever imagined. Jesus started with the felt need, I want to see, gave him way more than that. And that goes back to our question. Why did he even ask, what do you want me to do for you? Why didn't you just heal him? Because this story is a story about openness. Are we open to what he wants to do in our life? And that's why when Jesus says, when, when the blind guy, you know, Jesus asked him, the blind guy says, I want to see. Jesus doesn't even heal him then. He says, okay, and then receive your sight. He gives him a command. He says, Bartimaeus, receive your sight. What does that mean? I mean, he doesn't say, well, fix yourself then. Put on glasses or, do, you know, take a pill or whatever. He doesn't, you know, make yourself see. He couldn't make himself see. But he does give him a command, receive your sight, which is a passive command, but it takes an action. To receive your sight, to be open to what, to receive what God wants to do in our life. What he's saying is, are you open? Open up your life to what I want to do. And the very next verse says, and he received his sight. Meaning he opened up his life to the healing power of Jesus. And there's a lot that Jesus wants to do in your life and mine that he, that he is, he is not the hold up. That, that if you and I open up our life to receive it, we'll change our life forever. Increasingly, as we take step after step after step. That's what this story is about. Are we increasingly open to step, to walk with Jesus, to step into what he wants for us? What if we were just one small step away from our life being changed forever? Wherever we are on the journey. Because the Christian journey following Jesus is about step after step after step, including the first step, but even beyond that as well. But it's really up to us. So think about it this way, going back to that story 2,000 years ago. You had hundreds, maybe thousands of people there in the crowd, all admirers of Jesus. We, we don't read about the Pharisees and religious leaders who were mad at him and wanted to kill him. They evidently, maybe there were a few of those there. But by and large, the crowd were people like, I mean, they were all praising God, thought this was amazing. So they are admirers of Jesus. But Bartimaeus so far, there's going to be another one, but Bartimaeus is the only one who chooses to follow Jesus. And there's a big difference between being an admirer of Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. You think, well, how come only one person so far became a follower of Jesus? They all admired him. And there's a couple reasons, probably. One is most people, unlike Bartimaeus, he was pretty desperate, right? As a blind beggar, most people weren't desperate. Their life was really pretty good without Jesus. I mean, it was cool to see Jesus, like, going to a movie. It's like, ooh, it's better than a movie. It's like, oh, we got to see that. They admired him. They thought he was great. But really, they didn't follow him because their life was pretty good without him. It's like if you ask somebody, let's say you're going to a restaurant or something. My, my wife used to drive the kids, my kids used to drive her crazy when they would say this. Um, they, she'd be like, hey, I'm going to Whataburger or whatever, going to Chick-fil-A. Do you want anything? And their response was, I'm good. Like, I didn't ask you if you were good. Like, we could debate that. I just asked if you want a hamburger. Like, just yes or no question. Like, are you, you know, oh, no, no, I'm good. Okay, I'm good. There's a whole lot of people back then and a whole lot of people today in our culture, admirers of Jesus, but when it comes to really following, it's kind of like, you know, I'm good. Jesus talked about that a lot. The wealthier the culture, the more comfortable the culture, the wealthier the individual, the more comfortable the individual, the more we have to give up, the more, more that 
It's easy to live an I'm good life. And not really be open to what Jesus wants. And therefore, and, and the sad thing is, is we have no idea what's on the other side of that invitation. All that he wants to do for us. And uh, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 2.9. He says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. He's got so much. And it's so easy to just live in so little of it. One reason is I'm good. The other reason is kind of different. Like I, there are other beggars there just like Bartimaeus who they would be like, well, I'm not good enough. I mean, I'm not good enough. I'm not going to shout over the crowd and silence all the voices that tell me to be quiet, that God doesn't love me, that God's mad at me, that God doesn't care about me because I know I'm messed up. He was the only beggar that wouldn't be quiet, that wouldn't be shushed. Jesus would have stopped for any of them. But he's the one that cried out. And for some people, maybe you're in that category, just feel not good enough. Truth is, we're all in the same boat. None of us are good enough. But his grace goes out to every one of us. So that happened right in the crowd, right? So whether, whichever way it was, he goes, as he, starts out of, as he starts out of Jericho, though, we get one more story that I'll just touch on quickly. And one more person would be in the category of I'm not good enough because everybody would have told him he's not good enough. I mean, for one, people who were sick, people who were blind and all that, and their sick theology, Jesus corrected it. But, hey, the reason that happened is because you've done something bad and God's getting even. And so they were considered bad sinners, not just People who we should have compassion for, but people that would be like, so you got what you deserve. Now, Jesus didn't have that. He told him when he's like, man, that's messed up. But there was other people in that crowd that were labeled sinners. Now, I don't know if you realize how many sinners we have in your house or in the room, but hovering about 100%, right? But every... Every culture, every church, every religion, you know, we, all, we always have people who are especially sinful in our minds. Like, we're, we're better. They're really messed up because they struggle with things that we don't, right? And they had it. Well, for them, 2,000 years ago, being a tax collector um, was in that mode, which is weird, right? I mean, one of our, our we just hired a new Spanish-speaking pastor for an Espanol service from the IRS. And you think, ooh, why did we hire him? He's a tax collector, you know? <laughs> well, we don't care about that, right? But 2,000 years ago is a big deal because tax collectors were considered traitors. Um, they were Jewish people who worked for Rome. They were known to be very corrupt. And they also were taxing their own people and working for Rome, and they were hated for that. Well, he wasn't, this guy that we're going to learn about, as he goes, that wasn't just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector, meaning he was the biggest sinner of the worst sinners. And his name, if you grew up in church, you'll recognize it, Zacchaeus. Right? Remember Zacchaeus? If you grew up in Sunday school, you may even know the song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And I know some of you are thinking, I'm so glad I didn't grow up in church. I didn't miss anything. Right? But uh, yeah, wee little man was he. Right? And he climbs up in a sycamore tree and he, because he can't see Jesus, you know, because he's a wee little man. And he gets up in the tree so he can see Jesus. And Jesus sees this tax collector, chief tax collector, the worst, considered the worst sinner of the whole group. And he looks right at him. The thousands of people. But he looks right at him in the tree. 
Now, he's never met Zacchaeus, but he calls him by name. And he says, Zacchaeus, you and I, get down from the tree because you and I are going to hang out. You want to hang with me? We're going to hang. I'm coming to your house for dinner. He probably stayed the night. We're going to hang out with God, with his creator. Be pretty cool, right? And he goes right for him, the worst of sinners. You know what the crowd does? We're told all the people saw this and began to mutter. The shushers became mutterers. Yeah, that's a good mutter, you know, you know, complain under your breath. By the way, it's Mutter's Day in about a month. So it's a little tip. Don't forget Mutter's Day. But he began, they began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. That's what bothered them. That Jesus went, how could he do that? How could he go into the home of a sinner? Going to get sinner cooties. He's gonna, like, you can't do that. Like, you, you know, he's supposed to be this righteous guy. Obviously, he's not. And religious people do this all the time, and it drove Jesus nuts, and it drives God nuts today. And all of us, once we begin a relationship, God will have this sinful tendency to do this, and we've got to resist it as a church and resist it individuals where we get into a mode where we're no longer friendly to sinners. And people will say things like, oh, yeah, your church is all, you know, it's about reaching sinners or seekers or whatever. Like, there's no other kind of church. Like, that's Jesus' heartbeat. That's, that's why we're here. Like, and if we ever get away from that, then we just, we get away from Jesus and we start driving him nuts. But I won't preach that sermon right now. I'll just go right back to it. I want to, but I'll just go back right. But they're muttering. But, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, it's a statement of great faith. Here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Saying, I came for people who know they're lost. I came for people like this. And Zacchaeus' life was changed forever. Why? Because he was open. Jesus is ready to do so much in your life and my life. and, and, And we've tasted so little of it. And I think the point of this first week is he looks and says, what do you want me to do for you? Often he'll, he'll start with kind of our felt need. Man, I wish my life was like this. Like this. He's like, okay, that's cool. We can do that. But that's tiny compared to what I want to do. There's so much I want to do in your life. And I don't know where you're at. You know, probably most of us were in church because we're an admirer at least. But are we really a follower of Jesus? Is, is that really what our life is about? Jesus and his mission and what he wants to do in my life and what he wants to Is that what's driving me? Because it's so easy in this culture to be an admirer of Jesus, but not really a follower of Jesus. And so a great question to ask, and we're going to go to God soon in prayer and say, God, help me be, I want to still be an admirer, but help me be more of a follower. And, and it's easier not to. You know, our question that we went into this is, what if we're just one small step away from everything in our life being different It's easier not to take that step. It's easier to stay right where we are, stay the way we are. Unless you're like Bartimaeus and really desperate, all that's a little bit different. But even then, it's just easier to stay where we are. And and, and for some of you, it might, you know, actually taking a step toward Jesus, whether it's beginning a relationship with him or, you know, Christian life is just a series of steps. It never stops. Jesus keeps moving. That's why it's called following him. 
And so we just keep taking steps, taking steps, taking steps. So wherever you're at in your journey, taking the next step or the first step might mean leaving some things behind that are hard to leave behind. I don't know, but it could be. It, it will certainly mean leaving what is now in known for what is unknown. Leaving what is somewhat comfortable and in my control and following him into what's a little bit outside of my control and therefore not so comfortable, not so known, not so seen. For some of you, it, it, that taking a step, the next step or first step with Jesus might mean silencing some voices around you who tell you he's not interested in you. Be quiet. You're too much of a sinner for him. You've screwed up your life too much. Or you're too messed up. You're too broken. Whether that's a voice in your head or voices of people around you. You may have to choose not to be shushed by those voices. You might have to give up your identity as the golden child or the mess up or the victim. And say, no, I'm going to put all that behind and just be the one who's loved by God and follow him into all that he wants for me. And I'm going to take the step. It really is your choice. All that's available. And none of us have experienced even a fraction of what he wants to do. And so we're going to go to God with that in mind. What if we're just one small step away from our life being transformed? And, you know, when I say, you know, the next step and all that, I mean, I... You know, you have the initial step of beginning relationship with God and then step after. It's not like you take one step and poof, everything changes. It's not the Christian life. Christian life is thousands of steps. And over time, like a week from now, you'll look back and think, yeah, not that much has changed. But a year from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you look back after taking step after step and you think, whoa, I never would have guessed that. And that's the Christian life. It's just so easy to get stuck. Especially with what we've come out of with the pandemic. And you know, there were so many people that had momentum spiritually and then lost it. And understandably, pandemics are pretty disruptive. But now, I mean, you're here in church that, or you're watching online. That's a big deal, right? You're saying, okay, I'm, I'm back. I'm in. I want to take steps. But just whatever. I just, we're going to go to God and say, God, whatever step you want me to take, help me take it. And if God brings something to mind of, you know, engaging uh, some ministry or doing something for someone or getting in a group or taking a step of growth or taking a step of generosity or serving in our church or serving outside of our church. You know, just whatever God brings to mind. Uh, maybe stepping away from something that you know you shouldn't be. You know, you say, I need to take a step out of that, back, get it back on the path. I don't know where you are. But let's go before God right now in prayer. And as I always say, prayer is just talking to God. He's your father. He just wants to you just talk to him. And I'm going to just encourage you to say, Jesus, what next step into what you want for me do you want me to take? If you've prepared all that for me beyond my wildest imagination, guy, I, I want to live into that. And... And for some of you, that might be beginning a relationship with God. To say, God, you came here for me. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead so that I could have a relationship with you. You want to come into my life. And I want to follow you into that life. 
That's what it means to begin a relationship with God. For others of you, it might be just, okay, Jesus, you know I'm off track. Just help me step back on the path. Or, you know, I'm stuck. I have no momentum. And just help me take the step. And Jesus, right now, just whisper, like, what, what step do you want me to take? And then give me the courage to take it. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your patience. And that you will always stop for people of faith to cry out and just say, God, I, I want what you want for me. And so, God, would you continue just to guide us ahead into what you want. In Jesus' name, amen.